We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Just mentioned, one nine of ten, six straight. You could run the table on this homestand. <laughs> yeah, we we could. Uh, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, we've been defending well, and that's what's been getting us these wins. And uh, we just got to keep uh, doing the same thing every night, locking into a game plan, and, 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 and like you said, keep getting wins. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? How could I be anything other than great? <laughs> I mean, it's it literally the only other time we've come to anything close to coming on a podcast and talking about things the way that we are now is the bubble. And the bubble ended in them not making the playoffs. So this even feels different. Eight in a row there. Now the Suns have won nine of their last ten games and everything appears to be clicking pretty fun. Let's start off with a question. The Phoenix Suns are 17-9. and They have the fifth best record in the NBA. Are they contenders? Yeah. Is the, it, I, the only reason I feel like people are afraid to use that word when talking about the Suns... It comes with a certain elevated level of expectations that I even yeah. myself I worry about holding us to that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, yeah. it's an interesting question. It's the history, right? It's it's who they were last season and the season before. I think that's always dumb to hold those types of it, it's a whole new team. You know, one of the biggest changes of any team this offseason and now they're doing really well. They're playing really well. You can't really hold that pass against them. There is some fairness into saying their best player, Devin Booker, arguably their their best player, 
has no playoff experience at all. So I guess you could say that and say that's the reason you wouldn't call him a contender. But by all other metrics, it seems like they are. I mean, it really does. I'm looking here at the Western Conference standings because the thing that's so interesting, that the Phoenix Suns have not done a very good job of taking care of business this year against teams that they need to take care of business against, teams under 500. That's why it was so nice tonight. Like, regardless of what would have happened tonight, the Suns just had such a fantastic uh, last couple of games between beating Milwaukee, uh, which we covered midseason when we did that postgame mailbag, and then um, Philly. That being said, though, you wanted the extra cherry on top tonight. The Magic only had eight players available, especially because I wanted I wanted to ride the momentum early into this week. Like I didn't want to bum everyone out with a podcast because I knew we were going to record right <laughs> after the Magic game, which with we a, are, by the way. Right with with a game though where they like theoretically had they blown it against another Eastern Conference bottom feeder, um, which by the way I feel so bad for Nikola Vucevic, but but that's a, a discussion for another day. But the Suns taking care of business against a team they they needed to take care of tonight. And then you look at their 500 and above record now. They're 7 and 3. The LA Clippers yeah. are 6 and 5. Right. The Los Angeles Lakers are 5 and 5. The Utah Jazz are 9 and 3. They've legitimately right. been very good. Although one of those Who the th- Suns have beaten. One of those one of three the... losses is against the Phoenix right. Suns. Only that's, five teams have beaten them. That's the true mark of of a contender is can you yeah. beat the other 500-plus teams? And you look at the Western Conference right now, outside of the Utah Jazz, the Suns have the second-best record against other 500-plus teams. Right. Let me look at the East real quick just to to get a, the Nets. The Nets are 9-1 and one against 500-plus teams. The Suns right. played the Nets in their next game, although it will be without, uh, without Kevin Durant. But in right. general, I mean, looks like they're in good shape. I understand why people around, around the country from the national mm-hmm. perspective for sure and even Suns fans would be afraid Including to say it. me would be afraid, afraid to, say, to it. say it but i think I, I, a few I more games feel superstitious saying it at this point <laughs> i mean if a week from now the suns are 20 and 10 right right like there's there's a point where it's fair to say it and by the way all-star you know we should have another all-star discussion mhm i feel so bad that I think the Suns are only going to get one all-star spot. That's just how it is. They're only going to get one. And I feel bad that both of these guys can't make it because both of them deserve well, it. I think they. I think there's a chance they could still get two. And, it, and what it would take is them continuing to win, maybe extending the streak beyond 10 games or something like that. Uh, because that, that's the only thing that people are currently voting on, and this is fans or media, is the starters. And if the Suns have like an unassailable record where you just cannot deny that they that they deserve that, especially with how good their two best players are playing, I still think there's a chance. And the real the real reason why is the extra one, if you will, is probably going to be Chris Paul at some point with how good Devin Booker's been and the yeah. fact that Devin Booker's higher in in fan voting so far. I think that second guy, it's going to be hard for a lot of coaches and people like that. Uh, media guys to deny Chris Paul a spot because I mean how good he's been and his legacy that he already has going into it it's hard to take a guy like that out of the all-star game I wonder how much it matters to him though it's I I mean I guess he's one of the guys that helped (laughs) actually make it happen yeah I really I I really don't know how how personally important it is to him now I will say I think and I've said Chris Paul has been the more consistent player this year I said as recently as the other day that that if you put a gun to my head and I had to choose only one of these guys 
uh, I, I probably would choose Chris Paul. Now, granted, Devin Booker's dropped like, you know, 60 points in the past two, like 120 points in the past four games. He's averaging 30 plus this week, and we'll talk about that. It's just there's probably six guard spots, right? Curry, Lillard, uh, Doncic are locks. They're locks. That's three out of six. Mitchell's a lock because the Jazz are so good. Ma- I'm not sure. I think I he's know. a lock. I think he's a lock, Mike. I think one... I think the the argument, like recently Kevin Arnovitz, for instance, made the argument that the Jazz deserve three All-Stars. I think, you know, yeah. when you get into like Mike Conley being an All-Star, it's, it's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. He's been great. He's been important to them winning. But that team doesn't deserve three All-Stars with the way their top-tier yeah. talent has been playing. You're probably But right. I think they're and so he, and good. And he's got the precedent. Like, he's been an All-Star before. I think they're so good. A first seed, they're not denying Mitchell that spot. Yeah. So that's yeah, four. that's right. four out of six. And then I think De'Aaron Fox, if there's another guy, maybe gets it. Is is the guy who could deny the opportunity for Paul and Booker to both get in. It's tough. It's tough. They could do it. If the, I think, like you said, if they continue the streak for a few more games. Um, but I think ultimately we're going to see probably the the media choose between or the coaches, sorry, choose between one or the other, which is it's just tough. Yeah, and I, like part of me kind of likes that in a way that maybe it would added extra chip to their shoulder as the uh, season rolls along and it just gives them even a little bit extra motivation not that they necessarily need it the Suns team the guys who've been on the Suns for a while which is basically just Devin Booker at this point uh, beyond I guess Mikhail Bridges and, and DeAndre Ayton who've been here a while they just want to win they you know the Suns have taken a lot of heat for being the team that does not win, you know, they've, they've every single name you can call a franchise that's been bad. They've been called. And for Booker, he said it, I believe after the game against Philadelphia, this is something that he's been wanting for years and years and years. And that's to be competitive every night, six games in a row. Devin Booker was the high scorer in five of the six. And I think the one that he didn't, he wasn't the high scorer in, I think he had 18 and 11 and that was without Chris Paul. So it's just one of those games where he just, knows exactly what's needed and goes in there and does it. He's an absolute all-star, I think, and it's hard to deny him. I personally, I have more attachment to wanting to see Devin Booker. You know, Chris Paul's been an all-star 10 times. And every Suns fan does. Like, yeah. that. I just get it. You know, uh, Cody Hunt, our friend, posted a poll the other day of if you could only choose one of these guys, who would it be? Yeah. I understand people who, who say, who legitimately think it's Booker based on merit. He's been torrid hot the past week, especially. But also, like... Just Suns fans have more emotional attachment because it's Devin Booker. It's the guy who got you out of the gutter after five yeah. years of of turmoil or whatever. You know, Chris and Paul's only been there once. He's probably deserved it more than that. Right, right. So you know, I get it. Yeah, I will say just from like an aesthetics like point of view, Chris Paul's game is probably more exciting for an All Star game because Devin Booker, it's all fundamentals and and it's really incredible and in how good he is. You know, of course he's got the fadeaways, he's got the pull up mid range shots. But Chris Paul is an absolute master with the ball, the dribble moves, the fakes, the insane passes, you know, faking guys out and sending them flying. Like, that's all Chris Paul. Well, the funny thing and, is both of them are like, like, what do we see in the All-Star game? We see a lot of flashy dunks, and we see a lot of up-and-down yeah. threes. Ne- and, like, you know, deep threes. Neither of them are the yeah. greatest at either of those things. Like, the things that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are the best at require the defense to play defense. <laughs> which which is not going to happen in an all-star game because like yeah, you're not necessarily going to see the them flashy passes out. though yeah Chris Paul's got the flashy passes and, and there's a lot of those in all-star games as well to set up the dunks with no with no defense uh I guess I don't know we don't really know if they're going to use the Elam ending again 
I hope they do. I think that was a really fun all-star game the last time we saw it. So if they do do that, that could be really fun. Obviously, they've turned it around. I think there was times with, you know, before this six game or before this nine out of ten, there was three games, three losses in a row. And, and you know, there were some guys missing, Devin Booker most notably. In those three losses in a row, he missed the end of the Denver game and then the next two games, which were Denver and Oklahoma City. But then they turned it around. They, they started to get things going, even without Chris Paul for one of these games. Was there anything specific that you noticed that they've changed in these uh, last 10 or so games that made them look this good? I mean, the major concept is that now that Devin Booker is figuring it out, and more specifically, now that Chris Paul and Devin Booker seem to have, I don't know if I would use the word mastered, but but now that they seem to be playing off each other much better than they were just a few weeks ago, everything else falls into place. Yeah. Like, basically, you know, the, the critique we've heard of the Suns offense in particular up until this point has been, you heard uh, uh, Zach Lowe say it a few weeks ago, it's very your turn, my turn, right? Mm-hmm. It feels, it feels... It, it just doesn't feel fluid in the way in which Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been taking turns. Well, now it does. And I think in particular what we're seeing is Chris Paul is recognizing now that Devin Booker's shot making has improved so much in the few weeks. For whatever reason that is, by the way, I'm not exactly sure that there's a scientific explanation for why Booker got so hot now other than just the natural ebbing and flowing of, a, of an NBA season, right? But right. now that Booker is at that point. I think what Chris Paul's done is he's taken a step back and he said, I'm really, I'm ready to facilitate. And when they stagger us, when we're together, I'm going to make sure Book is the guy like he was in the bubble. And we're going to focus on getting him into the flow of his offense. And when Book is off the court, that's when I'm going to be assertive and look for my own offense. And so, you know, Chris Paul's still taking, you know, he's generally like 12, 13, 14 shots a night. But what we're starting to see over the past 10 games is that far more of those shots increasingly are when Chris Paul is leading lineups, like, you know, with mm-hmm. bench guys or, or just some of the other starters. Um, and when Booker's on the floor, he's taking on a different role. He's a little bit more submissive, and it's it's just worked. It's it's allowed so many other things to fall into place because then, you know, you look at a guy like DeAndre Ayton, his role has simplified so much now that Booker's on fire. He can just focus on not having to force anything on offense. Mikhail Bridges regressed. Uh, with his three-point shooting, right? He, was, he wasn't he was going to shoot 45% from deep all season long. But now that Book's got it going, as Shannon Sharp would say, <laughs> he gets to cut more, and he gets to yeah. do the things that make Mikhail Bridges Mikhail Bridges. So what we're seeing is a lot of these role players who had to step up early on in the season and kind of lead the Suns to wins. We talked about it just a couple weeks ago. It felt like if Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson don't show up, the Suns lose the game. And it never should have been like that. But now it's not. Now those guys can just augment to your success. Exactly. But you right. can win a game. The Suns won against a contending team yesterday, the, the Philadelphia 76ers, with Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges combining for nine field goal attempts. That was unheard of in the first couple right. weeks of the season. So you get to see the role players actually play like role players, and, and they're very good at their respective roles. But it just it all starts with Devin Booker and, and Booker and Paul figuring it out together. That's the most important thing. We talked about it. Even, you know, as as fun as the start was when there were some bad games uh, early on, even with the wins, you know, they had a good record after 10 or 11, you know, 7 and 4 after 11 games. We still came on this podcast and we said they still have some work to do because the most important thing for this team is currently not going 
as well as we expected it to go. And now I feel like it is. And you talked about it. It feels less your turn, my turn. I do have a stat that I'm going to bring up a little bit later. We're going to talk more about Devin Booker. Uh, but I also think that early on in the game where they find right ways, the right ways to play together, the right time for guys to specifically showcase what they're good at, I also think it comes down to they just look so much more methodical as games are closing down now. Mm. There were some close games on those wins. The Boston game was close. It ended up being a nine-point win. The Cleveland game was was close. It ended up being a six-point win. Milwaukee, they only won by one point. Chris Paul talked about it after a game. He's calling guys and getting guys together, specifically to watch the last four or five minutes of games, and that's it. And you can tell that they now understand, instead of just giving the ball to one or the other, it now appears that they are reading what the defense is, is giving them early in games and trying to get shots specifically off of that. And I thought Philadelphia was a great example with Joel Embiid, the way that he specifically plays defense. They found ways to get specific kinds of shots. He's a really great defender, and yet they were scoring a lot of points with Joel Embiid as the primary defender, whether that was DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul. We saw Devin Booker draw him out all the way to the three-point line and take him to the rim a few times. They, they were finding right way the right ways to attack specifically Joel Embiid, who should be their best defensive player and is, and one of the best in the NBA. And to see them grow in that way, so much of that credit goes to Chris Paul. It's mm-hmm. why he's here. And I think it's interesting to see exactly how it happens because it's not always Chris Paul taking shots. There seems to be always a stretch in the third quarter where he just takes over and hits four or five shots in a row. But as the game's closing down, if the shot's there for him, he'll take it. If it's not, if he thinks the shot's more likely to be there for Devin Booker, Devin Booker will find the time to do it. And he's and he looks a lot better in that crunch time lately than he was early on in the season. Yeah. And there's simple stuff with them getting used to each other. I like to, I'm trying to find small things to point out. I really like understanding each other. I really like that Chris Paul takes spot up threes now. It it really feels like he yes. was he was overthinking it and trying to pound the ball into the floor a little bit. And and granted, Chris Paul is one of the best ever to do that. If there's anyone you want to pound the ball into the floor, at least theoretically, it was him. But he, he's making more of a concerted effort now not to bog down the offense. You get a semi-open three in the corner, just take it. Don't overthink it. And, he, and lo and behold, because he's a pretty good shooter, he's making a lot of those shots. You know, it's not something that happens more than like once a game, but it's, again, the sort of stuff that wasn't happening a month ago. Well, there's, there's two things. I'm glad you brought that up specifically. Two things that I wanted to point out for people to watch just to, to help understand these guys getting to know each other a little bit better. One of them is when Chris Paul catches it at the three-point line, they're no longer standing around and watching and expecting, waiting for that rebound, if you will. Because now there is an understanding that Chris Paul may not take that shot. He might take a dribble in and find another guy wide open for a three. He might take that mid-range shot. He might wait for the screen, even if there's seven seconds left on the shot clock. It's just not always what he's going to do. That means more off-ball movement when Chris Paul catches it at that three-point line. More guys ready to screen Dario Saric, DeAndre Ayton, whoever it is. Watch for that. You'll see that. The other thing I noticed is Chris Paul is no longer setting up Devin Booker at the three-point line as if he is J.J. Redick. <laughs> he played a long time with J.J. Redick. Yeah. So it's it's understandable that he knows exactly how to set up three-point shooters like that. Now, Chris Paul, if Devin Booker is two, three steps behind the three-point line and not necessarily up on it, he understands that Devin Booker can now catch it and attack his man and get past him in either draw foul 
find a big man or find a shooter or just take that mid-range shot. And, you know, that means not treating him like he's just going to shoot that spot up three. Mm -hmm. Devin Booker, of course, is willing to shoot that spot up three. But understanding Devin Booker's game to another level means that when they're dribbling it down in the half court, Chris Paul's not going to penetrate and kick it out to or to Devin Booker at that three-point line. He might give it to Devin Booker a few steps behind that three-point line, understanding that he knows how to attack in that position. And it's those little things that I think you have to play with guys to really, really understand and feel. And I see those those small things clicking in ways that were not clicking early in the season. And to Chris Paul's credit, and, and just to cut him some slack of why it's taken so long, you look back in his career and he's just never played with a, a score quite like Devin Booker. You right. talked about he had all those years with J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick's far from a you know dynamo score <laughs> but he had all those years with a guy like jj reddick on the clippers as his shooting guard his backcourt partner that would be a better way to put this uh you know who who just expected off screen and spot up threes then he comes to houston it's the other end of the spectrum where james harden it's pretty hard to assist james harden generally because he needs the ball in his hands in the first place to initiate the set he's doing so much isolation offense it's kind of hard to to get him into yeah. a spot um booker is kind of a sweet spot for Chris Paul that he hasn't really played with before. You know, I think Shea was pretty good last year, but even he wasn't wasn't quite to where Booker is, where he just gets to his spots and, and he kind mm -hmm. of hits that sweet spot of being able to create his own offense, um, but also benefiting from a point guard who can set him up in the right spots. It's it's perfect, but it just took us some time to, to get here in the first place. I'm really glad you brought up James Harden because there's one specific play that... I think really exemplifies the difference between Devin Booker and James Harden. And it's a simple Spain pick and roll play. And the reason I want to point this play out... Harden is would never do starts, that. He would never. Yeah, he would never. And here's why. The play starts out with Chris Paul holding the ball at the top of the key. The first thing that happens is in the starting lineup on the left wing, sort of the left corner, Devin Booker is on the wing. Frank Kaminsky's in the corner. The first thing Devin Booker does, a shooting guard is screen for Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky rolls up to the top of the key, gets the ball, passes it back to Chris Paul. Then a traditional pick and roll starts with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton where Devin Booker then sneaks into the paint and then screens a center, another big man. He screens DeAndre Ayton's man and then rolls to the top of the key and either DeAndre Ayton's going to get the dunk, Chris Paul gets the mid-range, or Devin Booker's going to be open at the top of the key. But what that play takes is a shooting guard screening for a power forward and screening for a center. James Harden will not do that. <laughs> he does not do that. James Harden prefers to stand five feet behind the three-point line, catch it with eight seconds left on the shot clock, do a bunch of dribbling and score. He's very, very good at that. But credit to Devin Booker for being willing to set those screens because when your best offensive player sets screens, confusion happens, and that's what gets other guys to score. The specific play I'm talking about ended with a Chris Paul mid-range shot. But the entire thing is based on Devin Booker being willing to set two screens on two big men, which not all guards are willing to do. And I think that's just a perfect example of the difference between James Harden and Devin Booker that I noticed in this game. And you guys can see it. I'll try and post a clip the next time it happens. They run that play all the time. It's yep. really great for Booker. I mean, James Jones didn't get these two guys together to play this disjointed offense of one guy takes an ISO shot, then the next guy takes an ISO shot. Maybe that's yeah. what it devolves into in the fourth quarter sometimes, and you live with it because they're both so good at it. But Monty's scheme is set up for them to play off each other's strengths and, and cut with purpose and 
pass and screen and, and do everything really that you would expect from any role player to do. So, right. you know, I, I, I think credit to Devin Booker for growing up and then playing also in Kentucky in schemes that required him to play like a role player and think like a role player first before he became a superstar so that he never really he never became a diva in the first place um and and now you know even in year six of his nba career as a superstar we continue to see him to play with those team principles which is a great thing um just if you're a coach and you want to build a good offense yeah you have to have a a star player has to have a willingness to put their body on the line the way that setting screens on big man can They, they might run him over they just might by the way, we should talk about this. The Suns were fully healthy for two games in a row for the first time this season. Now, they did start the season with everyone but Jalen Smith. Technically, Jalen Smith is healthy right now. There's something going on with him. That news might come out while we're recording. I'm not sure he was inactive for this game. But technically, every player that normally plays was available for the last two games. And how nice is it to see this team as it was intended as James Jones is a master, I think, at understanding chemistry. And when there's guys missing, that chemistry doesn't quite work the way that it should, the way that it was designed to. Later in this podcast, we're going to talk about rotations, what specific guys should be in, what specific guys should be out. So we'll get a little bit more into that. But how nice is it to see a healthy team on this on the Suns basketball court so far? It's wonderful. Um, I count 13 guys where you put them out there, I trust them. You know, I'm not I'm not going to look at Monty all that weird if he if he puts out Javon Carter one game and then Abdel Nader one game and you know, Langston Galloway the next game. He's got a lot of different options. I mean, generally, and we'll talk about this later, you shoot for consistency, you want some sort of consistency. But if he chooses any of those guys over any of those other guys, you live with it because they're all NBA players at the end of the day and and it's just a luxury for for Monty and for all of us as fans. Yeah, it's really nice. Obviously, Dario Saric, but Cameron Payne. Yeah, he's. I wanted to. Man, it's great to see him because Cameron Payne. He was injured, and then he came back, and then he kind of re-aggravated the his foot is what they said it was, and then he was out for a while longer. And I think that even when he played in that game, he didn't look like himself. He looked like a guy. Maybe it was two games. He looked like a guy who maybe had uh, lost a stay. He was a little slower. He wasn't confident in his shot. He was struggling to get past his guys to the rim. And the last two games, you know, even if he's not putting up the stats that he was before his injuries, he looks like his burst is back. He looks like his speed is back. That first step is back. That running out and transition is back. The confidence in his shot is back. And it's bizarre that someone like Cameron Payne has become so important to this team, but it's definitely really nice to see him back. Well, it definitely reflects in the rotations too. I mean, Monty's gotten to the point where he trusts campaign enough that he does stagger book and CP3 because you have to a little bit. But he also leaves campaign out there for a few minutes a game, it seems like. And he wouldn't do that if he just knew that he couldn't trust him at all, you know? He would he would stick to a strict stagger. It feels like there's a solid 3 or 4 minutes per game. The results are okay so far. You know, it needs more of a sample size to accrue before we can really look into it. But those minutes where campaign is really leading the show hasn't been a disaster this season by by any means. Um, Dario Saric, who you mentioned, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, f- first he of looks all, healthy. <laughs> Dario Saric is is listed at two hundred twenty five pounds. It's very possible that he lost weight coming off of COVID, right? Like, it's very possible that he lost... I mean, I didn't see it. It wasn't obvious on his body. 
but it wouldn't surprise me if he lost five or ten pounds below what his listed weight is. Joel Embiid is 280 pounds. Yeah. Like, it takes toughness to do what he's doing and to do it so well. I just, I love that guy. I've got, you know, we'll talk, I got plenty of good things to say about him, but just, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk more about him. I do want to, I do want to give another shout out before we take a break here to DeAndre Ayton. And I think DeAndre Ayton, there was a stretch in this season where DeAndre Ayton was really going off offensively. And uh, I think he got a lot of credit for how well they were playing in that stretch. Monty Williams and the coaching staff of the Suns have simplified his role offensively to just taking shots at the rim and being okay setting screens. But that means that the importance of his defense and rebounding has now been expanded. It's even more important for him to be able to do the dirty work that a center does. And I think it's easy to forget about how good he can be in certain games because that's that's just what happens with centers. I think it's it's almost harder to see the good things that they do. In that game against Embiid, he did a really great job against Joel Embiid, as did Dario Saric, who I think took a little bit of the credit by the end of that game because there was a stretch where they just put it away with Dario Saric in the game. But Aiton did a great job too. Embiid, every single shot against Aiton was out of the paint, it seemed like. Maybe he got one in the paint, but he was forcing him to spots that you kind of want him to. You have to give him something. You kind of want him to take those shots. Isn't that funny how and, Joel Embiid has been one of the best mid-range shooters this year, and we're saying the, yeah. the way we're saying the way you beat Joel Embiid is to force him not to understand yeah. his physical advantages and to settle for mid-range shots. Yep, he couldn't really po- he couldn't really post eight and up. Yeah, he just couldn't move him. Pretty interesting. And, and a lot of credit goes to him and you just don't really you don't really notice mistakes by Aiton on defense and that's because there hasn't really been a lot of them. He's really doing haven't. all the right things defensively. <clears throat> and yes, he's not getting the ball as much, but does he need to? I think that we've seen that he really doesn't need to. We we were complaining about forcing it to him early in the season. Now they're finding him, you know, on certain plays, but what they're doing is they're looking for those mid-range shots first, and as they hit those mid-range shots, then the big comes out on that guy and that gives the lob. They get two or yep. three lobs, but they might not happen until the third or fourth quarter once the defense starts adjusting to the shots that they're making in the mid-range. And maybe as defensive change, defenses change, Aiton can get a few more of those shots early in the uh, early in the games as well. Yeah, I hope so. But I think they've found ways to do it. I hope so. Tonight against Orlando, too, uh, he had a couple of games of only six or seven rebounds. Excuse me. Tonight he was back up to 13. And he yeah. is, as we talked about, one of the best rebounders in the NBA now. It's a consistent effort. He had four offensive yeah. rebounds tonight. I think the only thing is, uh, yeah, I mean, you get to the point where it feels like Devin Booker and Chris Paul trust him more. It's okay if you don't want to force feed him. I, I don't want you to force feed him. But I do think maybe there should be a more concerted effort to feed him on the roll. He needs to be recognizing it and rolling hard. Um, but you want to keep this guy engaged, uh, especially if you want him to keep crashing the offensive glass, running hard in transition and like sealing guys off for five or six or seven possessions in a row is really hard if you don't get rewarded <laughs> eventually. So, you know, you want to do what you can do to, to just keep him going. He only had seven shots tonight. I have no complaints about that. Um, but I do think there will be games in the future where he's up to 15. or. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 20 field goal attempts and and he gets to be the star of the show. A game like tonight might have been a game where, honestly, I'd have to watch it back, but might be a game where you see a lot of Aiton's... uh, Roll gravity in effect, where he doesn't necessarily get the ball, but other guys are benefiting shooters and cutters and exactly. all that. Exactly. Yeah, and that includes mid-range shots. There's gravity there as well. He may not be a number one, two, or maybe even three star on offense, but he's number one on most plays on defense, him and Mikhail Bridges, and that's the importance of what he can do. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do Player of the Week, and then we'll talk about some ideas for rotations, who does and does not deserve minutes going forward on this team. We'll be right back. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back. Um, lots of stuff to still talk about, but six, what, 16, 17 and 9? What is their record now? 17 and 9. 17 it, it and 9. It didn't change since we came back from break. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. There's just so many wins. This team is so good, and it's so fun to watch a team that is this good. And I just want to say that before last we move time on. this team was this good, I was twelve years old. Uh, yeah, literally, I was literally twelve years old. It's working like it was designed in a way that we were hoping, and it you know I was hoping it would look like this at the beginning of the season. Now realizing it has been so long that I followed a good team this closely, I think I underrated the time it takes for guys to get used to playing with each other but now there are moments in the game i was telling you about this earlier sam there are moments in the game where i just pause the game and my girlfriend who watches the games with me i just sit there and i force her to listen to me talk about (laughs) the amazing things that chris paul specifically does because every single pick and roll is a journey with chris paul where you can see early in the game, he feels out the defense. Later in the game, he knows exactly how they're going to defend him. And what he'll do is he'll get guys in the corner. He'll say, hey, Mikhail, get deeper in the corner on this one because I know exactly how they're going to defend it. And that means that if I take this step back, I'm going to get a mid-range shot. Obviously saying all of this with his eyes. Or there's little tiny dribbles that he does that all of a sudden get guys wide open that you know we just haven't seen a point guard just master the offense this way since Steve Nash. And really, there's very few guys that even still do this in the NBA since currently. Since I was 12 years old. What were you <laughs> doing in 2010 the last time the Suns were this good? You were in the prime You were in the prime of your basement show career, probably. Yeah, yeah. I uh, 
I was in a band. Yeah, I, I was playing <laughs> lots of music in bands. I was in multiple bands, probably. And uh, I was lucky enough to be old enough to drink, barely. Uh, so I was going to bars and watching a lot of the games. I think a but lot of our listeners, by the way, don't realize that there's an age gap, that there's like a 10-year age yeah, gap 10 on, years. This, on this podcast. It's kind of an yeah. unlikely thing that happened, but but it's nice. Well, because you're very mature for your age, and I'm very immature for my age. So <laughs> really, we line, up, we line up right in the middle. <laughs> um, do, do you force your girlfriend to... Uh, to watch tonight for valentine's day or was it like a mutual agreement well we've been lucky enough that for the entire 20 year of 2020 we were together every single day <laughs> like which is not not normal for us uh just because of the way things worked out so it you know it, it is what it is we're, we're we're enjoying each other's company every day so she's happy to watch sons games she's as much of a fan uh as me uh but she does still have to deal with me uh sort of mansplaining the game to her every <laughs> once in a while <laughs> so that is what it is uh, that's how i like to watch the game let's get to player of the week and we have a song yes yeah we i have love songs. when i love when listeners send us songs please send us songs please send us more from, songs uh, this one's from august of 2020 uh, which was right towards the end of the bubble we didn't have a lot of chances to do player of the week too much to talk about in the bubble so shout out to this guy his name is lil pp Actually, it's Lil Lil PP. Um, sorry to my dad if you're listening that you had to hear that. Uh, <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> this is from him. He sent us this song. And if you have a song, feel free to send it to us. But here we go. It's a Tongan pod. Greatest listen with the squad. Podcast where we stand. Shaquille Harrison and Mike hey. number one. Mikael Bridges fan. Who's the best Hooper of the last seven days? Obviously Booker. Surprise like Mike James. Or maybe Money Williams for drawing <laughs> up the plays. Or even DeAndre Aiden for not missing 25 oh, games. Oh my. Shout out Robert Sauber. Please saw the team. It's the Suns player of the week. <laughs> I tuned out. So I'm sorry, little, little PP. Uh, I tuned out after I heard a Mike James reference. <laughs> That's how you can tell. That it's a little bit out of date. Uh, we, we got this one in August. So, like you said, we got this one in August. Sorry for I mean, not Mike James hasn't been on the team for a while, for so a it years. would be a surprise. A little, I mean, little pee-pee. We, I'm sorry we, we didn't, rules. I'm sorry we didn't Tec- play your song for nine months. Uh, if anyone sends us a song now that the season is in full swing, we'll play it in the next few weeks, not nine yeah. months from now after all the jokes are out of date. Yeah. In general, though, great job. <laughs> Hey, we could talk. We set the rules. We can talk about whoever. If we want to talk about Mike James one week for Player of the Week, technically we can. There's well, I'm no glad rules. you mentioned that because my Player oh. of the Week is actually Pat Burke. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days we should do that. And by the way, we don't do Player of the Week every week because sometimes we have KOC on and, and there's more important things to talk about. And, you know, it's it's difficult to do it every week. But thank you to him for sending us that song. If you have a song that you'd like to send us, reach out to us on Twitter, Reddit, wherever you want. We'll give you our email address or a way to send it to us, and uh, we'll play it on the podcast if it doesn't suck. Uh, Player of the Week, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. All right. Devin Booker. I had to do it. That's pretty easy. I know it's it's the obvious pick this week. I'll be honest. Sam and I talked ahead of time. We were both considering the person that Sam's going to say later. Uh, so I, I said, well, that's easy. Devin Booker's an obvious one. I'll take Devin Booker this week. From, I took stats before we recorded this. From February 7th to February 13th, so not including today's game. So for that week, Devin Booker was averaging 30 points per game, 6.5 assists on 52-45-81 shooting splits, including four wins, now five 
with the game today. One of the better stretches of his career. Obviously, he's had times where he had multiple 50-point games in a row, but this is different. They're, they're winning more games now, so more credit to him, more credit to the team. There was times where Devin Booker was struggling a little bit, and I think some Suns fans were even wavering a little bit, worried about him. <laughs> Sam, I'm not going to throw you under the bus on this. Don't worry. I, you, that's fine. I mean, yeah. There were moments where I was I, I, like, you know, it's it's a thing where you've got a guy like not that Devin Booker was bad. Never thought he was bad, but it's like you sign a guy for 30 plus million dollars a year and he's going to be like the number one guy. Like he's going to be the guy you build a contender around for Devin Booker to play the way he did for the first 15 or so games of the season. It's yeah, it scared me, you know, and yeah. but you never lost faith. So I'll let you I'll let you take a victory lap here and, and talk. And here's about why. It. Here's why. It's not for no reason, although admittedly I will give Devin Booker a much longer leash than other players because of what he means to the city what he means to the team and and me personally as someone who watched every game through his his career and as bad as those games were the reason I never worried is because there was just nothing really significant that looked like it had changed it was still the normal Devin Booker that we saw before but he was just missing more shots than normal. And what that means is usually the averages will then even out. He'll have games where he hits more shots than normal. Later, there were, there were some concerns with the turnovers early, but those can easily be explained by the team being drastically different than it was before and getting used to a player like Chris Paul, whose rhythms are completely different than really any player in the NBA currently. So all of that, I think made me really not worried about him and there was no surprise that he's finding his stride now about 20 games into the season you know the Suns have traditionally be that been that team that can maybe perform a little better than normal for the first 20 or so games and then they settle back into being the team that loses a lot after 20 or so games. That's why people weren't necessarily on board after we started seven and four this year I don't blame exactly. them because we did the exact same thing last year and we've seen it before, and we know that it takes a little time for teams to sort of settle into their new normal. And now the Suns settling into their new normal leads to 9 out of 10 wins, and uh, Devin Booker really succeeding, really exceeding, excelling in his role, and becoming that star player that we thought he was at the end of last season once again. And it's just really nice to see. And I have a stat before I let you talk. You, I'll, of course, give you a chance to talk about Devin Booker as well here. But here's a stat that I wanted to look up. In the first quarter so far this season, outside of the last five games, so I'm taking basically the last week, Devin Booker was averaging five field goal attempts. In the last five games, including tonight, he is averaging 7.6 field goal attempts in the first quarter. I speculated on our last episode that there seems to be a concerted effort to get Devin Booker going early in the game, which in the past, he used that first quarter to try and get other guys going. Now with Chris Paul having another star, it looks like that's shifted, and this stat, I think, points to that being true. It's basically a 50% increase in field goal attempts for Devin Booker, and what that does is it gets everyone else going later in the game because yeah. now everyone else is a little bit more open. And I like that change. If Credit to Monty Williams and his staff for finding that and employing that in these games. I think it's going really well. And it's nice when the stats line up to what I think I'm seeing. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, that was funny, first of all. It's, it's also just, again, recognizing Chris Paul, 
right? I, I think he deserves credit there. Like Chris Paul is going to be a guy you know he's going to wake up in the fourth quarter and he's going to start taking some of your shots. And Devin Booker, whether he likes it or not, you know, he's going to get clutch shots too, but he just doesn't get to be bubble book exactly in the fourth quarter because it's going to be more of a trade-off between those two. So he needs to establish himself early in the first quarter. Otherwise, he may never get the uh, the chance to dominate the ball. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's been amazing. I was happy to see that Luka Doncic lost tonight, as I always am, but, but especially, <laughs> especially happy tonight. He had 44 points, I think, and... He had a really good week. The Mavs went 3-1. and one. Devin Booker yeah. had a really good week. The Suns went 4-0. and oh. I would like to think that the voters reward winning since that's what we've always been led to believe they reward. And Devin Booker gets Western Conference Player of the Week. I know it's like kind of a meaningless accolade, but but I would like him to get it anyway. Um, I still have a feeling that they're just going to give it to, to Golden Boy instead, but I don't know. Could go either way. Yeah. Shout out to Espo who had the hilarious tweet. That Devin Booker is now named Eastern, Eastern Conference, Conference Player of the yeah, Week after they beat Detroit, Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, and now Orlando. Uh, that was pretty fun. And maybe nice Brooklyn next. Games. Maybe Brooklyn next. Yeah, maybe next. Brooklyn next. Yeah, they really earned that there. Um, just really nice to see Devin Booker go off, and I'm I'm excited to see him play well as the season rolls along. Who do you got, Player of the Week? Yeah, I've got uh, Darius Arch talked about him yeah. uh, a little bit before and i don't even have the stats here he's only been back for two games so this isn't yeah. like it's not a statistical argument it's just vibes and the vibes are good <laughs> like that's all you yeah. know that's all i gotta say you know he comes back and i think what he does they play different positions right frank has been starting at the four Darius arch is backing up Aiden at the five but dario comes back and instantly kind of shows us even if they have similar skill sets in that first game what he can do that frank just can't um, his speed with the ball a little bit, like, you know, and, and his pump fake ability. He's just such a smart offensive player, every facet of his game. I love that guy yeah. so much. And and also a guy with a 6'10 wingspan to break up plays uh, and break up passing lanes and wind up somehow with four steals yesterday. The Sun scored nine fast break points uh, against Philadelphia just off of Darius Arch's four steals. You can make an argument that that alone won them the game. Right. So he's, I mean, yeah, I I already talked about the weight difference between him and Embiid. That was fantastic to watch. Just outsmarted him every moment of that game, essentially. He's awesome, man. He He's awesome. And and I love that the backup center thing is working. And, and I also, I tweeted this out earlier today. I love that it forces DeAndre Ayton to continue to push himself because it's, it's a statistical trend and it held up again tonight as DeAndre Ayton played only 30 minutes tonight. But going into tonight, I noticed... Um, in the games where Dario Sarge plays, which is only eight games this season, but in those games, DeAndre Ayton plays 29 minutes per game. In the games without Dario, Ayton plays 33. A, a difference of four minutes per game may not seem like too much, but they rely on Ayton more when Sarge is out of the game. When Sarge is in the game, Ayton really needs to prove it. You know, he needs to put it all out there on the line, give total effort in order to prove yeah. that he deserves to stay in the game. And I just like that. You know, I I just like accountability for Earn all it. players. Exactly. Earn it. It's, you know, you're, you're year three. He's made great strides. There's no reason for us to be upset at DeAndre Ayton right now. Not at all. But you still want him to earn it. And, and it's just nice to feel so confident in the guy Absolutely. backing him up. I will say it would still be nicer if the Suns had a better third big than, than Damian Jones, who was like an actual center to sometimes come and and play spot minutes if you need it. That would be great. Um, but filling in the role, Sarge has, has been just, he's been great. I, he's, 
I mean, we could practically when he's in the lineup. By the way, he's played nine games, so really unfortunate Sorry. for how fun he is. No, just so far. I mean, seven and then the last two. Uh, just for how fun it's been to watch him, we could practically have a segment just gushing about him in every single in every single podcast that we record because of how fun he is. And it's sort of an untraditional fun. I will it's, post it's every really... pump fake of his this season on Twitter. <laughs> I, I've got a thread going where I post every pump fake basket under underneath the basket. Um, actually, he had one tonight that I think I'm not going to post because it was like a blatant up and down <laughs> that the refs didn't call. But Do even it. tonight, I'll take it. Even tonight, uh, that's how he got his and one. With he, how often he gets fouled and nothing gets called, I think it's fair that you could post that one. It's actually kind of fascinating how someone could be so old school and yet so like new school center at the same time because he's got that three-point shot he can dribble he can make plays for others but that passing the way he passes and the way that he operates under the rim are are almost you know I don't want to give the Kevin McHale shout out here but for how good he is but like the the pump fakes the up and unders the spins the the and something that I love that he's really good at is reverse layups like big men usually aren't that good. That's like a guard thing to do reverse layups because for sure it it's you know it's especially useful when you sort of use the rim to block the the big man from blocking your shot, and that's usually in guards because centers usually can get up above the rim. Well, Dario can't. Like that's just not how he plays. So as a big man to be that good at reverse layups is kind of fascinating. There are five guys on this team that I think are like well above average. In basketball IQ, Chris Paul is a savant, basically, at basketball. You know, there's, you know, you could probably say there's three, four, or five guys that are as smart as him when it comes to basketball. But the other guys are Mikhail Bridges, who's clearly brilliant, Devin Booker, who's clearly brilliant. And then I would put Dario Saric and Jay Crowder in that group and those five guys were on the floor for a few possessions today and I was really excited just because they're all brilliant basketball players but Dario Saric to me he has athletic limitations but basketball IQ wise he's on the same tier as Mikhail Bridges and Devin Booker to me they're they're just as smart as each other it's just he he can't really move around the way that those two guys are because he's big and he's not really athletic and you know and it's just kind of cool to have a guy that's that big that's that smart. It must be what it's like, you know, like to an extreme level to to watch Jokic every night right. for the Nuggets. Obviously, right. much better. Yeah, but you know, it's it's probably really fun to watch a big guy be that smart with the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's a homeless man's Jokic. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. but <laughs> but yeah, in general, that that is what he's doing. I would like to see that lineup more. Uh, now yeah, that, that you mentioned like it. it, I feel like have have we even really seen it much this season? I I've feel like it it's up. there's less than like 50 minutes, I think, yeah. so far this season. Not and something uh, that I would have expected to see a lot of. Yeah, and I could see it happening. I think the one time that you can't do that is if you have a big center, and maybe you can because of how good Dario Saric was against Embiid. If you can outsmart I, him, you can outsmart him. Yeah, I mean, I think Saric is proving that you can play post. He can play post defense against anyone. Like, literally, we've seen him play post-defense against Jokic, too, this season. Those yeah. are the two guys that it's hardest to do that against. Yeah. And, he's and done last it. season. And he's, he did well last season, He's too. done it to both guys. Um, I, But, you know, I think the only thing is, like, you put uh, Dario and Jay and Mikhail all on the floor together, and it's like, okay, we know we're just going to kind of leak out and play with pace. 
we're just not going to rebound and we're cool with that. Like, so, you know, as, as yeah. long as you know that that's off the table, rebounding is off the <laughs> right. table for three or four minutes while you decide to just run and, and try and make cuts and smart plays. That's a really interesting lineup and, and it definitely has its strengths. Yeah. I mean, they'll just outscore him. That's, that's basically what it, what it comes down to. And, you know, actually this leads really nicely into the conversation that we wanted to have and everyone's healthy now and, and who knows how long that will stay and, you know, obviously we're, we're as much as everyone else waiting to find out what's going on with Jalen Smith. But I honestly, I think he's out of the rotation anyway. Like, this is a guy who's probably not going to get minutes anyway. And that's okay when you draft a guy on a team that could potentially be a contender that that rookie may not get minutes in that first year. That's a relatively normal thing for a good team. It's really the Suns, Suns fans are sort of used to watching bad teams and ex- probably expect rookies to play a little bit more. And they're not going to normally. But, you know, that leaves some interesting guys left to talk about because Monty has some, you know, he's got some decisions to make now in a way that we haven't really seen a Suns coach have in a long time. I said, I was joking with you, Sam, earlier in the week, no matter what, when the Suns lose now, Suns fans can say it was Monty's fault <laughs> because there were good players that did not play in that yes, game. Yes, that, that is a great point. It's a great and, point. And, and you know what that means? Like, say Langston Galloway doesn't play and the Suns lose by five. They, they'll they say, oh, Langston Galloway should have played. It could have got more three-point shooting in. And say that's Langston me. Galloway that's does me. Play, I'm, yeah. I'm them. If Langston, yeah, no, Gall- <laughs> if Langston Galloway does play and Abdel Nader doesn't play, then we can say, oh, wow, the Suns really needed Abdel Nader. Nobody was getting to the rim. They needed more guys attacking. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's going to happen with every single game that the Suns lose because there are an abundance of players that deserve minutes on this team. That means they are making decisions. There are guys at the end of the rotation, and I organized the Suns players by minutes played per game, and let's just go from the bottom, and let's just talk about which one of these guys you and I think deserve minutes, and maybe even the scenarios that they deserve minutes. One question first. Your ideal rotation, your ideal fully healthy rotation, if you could create it, how many guys are in that rotation? Are you going eight-man, nine-man, ten-man? Probably eight or nine, You're but I think I think with this team, you can go to ten with this team. I do think that you know there there are the the bench is good enough, and I think that's I don't know. It's going to be really interesting in the playoffs what they do here. I think I uh, my idea for an ideal kind of playoff rotation is nine man. Generally, it's an arbitrary number, but like I, I like that number. And yeah, I mean I've got four very clear guys in my head, but I'm willing to make arguments for anyone if we go up and down uh, the list. Let's go from the least amount of minutes, and that's Tyshawn Alexander, and we're just going to say no. <laughs> no, although and he's played very in well. blowouts, it'd be fun. He's you know, played he's uh, very well in the G League bubble. He had 10 threes over the last two games combined. So watch out for Tyshawn Alexander. I do think the you know, Suns... You were talking about the Suns needing a victory cigar. Maybe it's Tyshawn when he's back. I mean, they just yeah, they need to play him. I, they, they need someone fun. They need either someone who's like 28 years old and a meme, and it's like, okay, you know this guy's not the future, but he's a meme, like a Boban or whatever. Or they need a young player where it's like you're clinging on to the hope that he is something one day, which would be Tyshawn. But they need something other than Damian Jones to come off the bench like in a blowout win. Just something that keeps yeah. me wanting to watch the game, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, the next guy, least minutes played six, at 6.3 minutes played per game, Jalen Smith. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what's this, going on I guess we that. can skip this, right? Yeah, we don't know what's going on with that. But but regardless, we know he wouldn't play much. And I don't think he should. He looks lost. He's not great on defense so far. It's not that he can't be good. Yeah, we'll It's just see. that this team needs to win as many games as possible. Maybe there are some Suns fans that won't like hearing this, but when they're fully healthy, I, I think it's pretty clear that... He should not be playing much minutes, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Damien Jones? Nope. Zero. You can cut him out entirely. <laughs> I think we're both on the same page here. I joked yesterday that I would have liked to see the Suns just kind of try and sneak Mo Bamba into the locker room today after this game and like trade <laughs> Damien because Mo Bamba hasn't really been playing that much anyway for yeah. Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford hates Mo Bamba for whatever reason. He has him hidden in the depth chart behind Ken Birch. But like Mo Bamba is still something. And he's exactly what I was talking about with like that third center who is like basically your only second natural center on the roster, but your third center because you're playing Dario so much, who can like still be athletic and come in and block shots and stuff. Damian Jones is not that guy. I was hoping that he Damian could be that Jones, guy, but he's not that guy. He is a he is He's an he's athlete. A train, he's a train wreck on defense. An absolute <laughs> train, train wreck on defense. He's a walking but trolley problem. Yeah, he's, I he's, think his defense is so bad that we have not talked enough about how bad his offense is. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. <laughs> Wait, no, I just want to point one thing out. There were there were multiple times in this stretch where he had to play, where he just didn't know the play they were running. And I know, I know he hasn't played much, so it takes time to realize things. But there were enough stretches where. They're just running a Spain pick and roll. You got to know how to run a Spain pick and roll when you're playing with Chris Paul at some point. Like, how do you not figure that out? You're sitting there watching the game. Figure that out. He's blowing up their offensive plays on his own, regardless of his individual scoring, which I don't care about. All right. Here's where it gets interesting. Javon Carter has now not played, essentially. I mean, there are times he gets in if the Suns are up by enough. In the last few games, most of these games in this win streak here. And, you know, 11.5 minutes per game is what he's averaging technically he's played 22 games out of 20 whatever it is 20 whatever uh but not really and at this point it makes sense and i think there's a conversation to have there but what do you think about javon carter yeah i think he's useful in certain situations but the fact of the matter is and i don't blame him for this because like he hasn't gotten consistent playing time right but like he's shooting what 25 percent from deep this year Maybe better than that. I'm not looking at a stat page. Uh, he's it, there's no reason to keep him in the rotation. He's not. I think we. He's not in my nine man rotation, and I don't feel bad about it. I love Javon I think, Carter, but but that's just what it is. I think we have to talk about these these three guys together: Javon Carter, Langston Galloway, Etwan Moore. Yeah, and to an ex, to an extent, Abdul Nader. Uh, but specifically, those three. As to why Javon Carter is not getting minutes now, fully healthy. Neither is Langston Galloway. Sad. Obviously, Langston Galloway has a significant NBA skill that could keep him in games. And it's not like Troy Daniels. He's better than Troy Daniels at other things. As my friend, our friend, Rich, Rich Anthony would say, find the shooter. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He's a shooter. Langston Galloway's what, on the floor. you got to find him. But what does Monty Williams love? Shooting. Playmaking. Yeah, you're right. No, I. there's <laughs> a reason... He likes Etwan Moore. Yes. And here's the thing. Etwan Moore is also a good shooter. He's, you know, he's a good yeah. shooter. Yeah. Man, I I understand. So I think Etwan's the guy who's in the rotation and the other two guys are out. I wish, yeah. I still wish it was Langston. I can't, I just can't even lie. And the reason I feel like that is not because Etwan Moore is bad in any way. He's been good. He had that 17-point game in the win uh, against Cleveland, you know, playing 40 minutes or whatever last week. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. But you've got dribble penetration coming from CP3. You've got dribble penetration coming from Booker. You've got it coming from campaign. Anyone you pair Langston Galloway with, you know you have that. 
So I'd just rather have the shooter. Like, you've got a guy shooting 47. I'm looking at the stat page here. You've got a guy shooting 47% from deep. I don't give a fuck what else he's doing on <laughs> offense or defense. I really don't. I, I think that's, like, a hot enough hand that you ride that until it's not hot anymore. Yeah. Okay, similar to what – it's really similar in logic. If you think the Sun should keep starting Frank Kaminsky – I don't really get this, and we'll get to this in a minute – yeah, if, you, if you think the Suns should keep starting Frank Kaminsky just because they're winning games, you should want the Suns to keep playing Lanson Galloway for as long as he's shooting close to 50% from deep because, you know, I mean, you, you just keep doing it until he proves that he can anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I've said my piece on that guy. If it were up to me, Langston is in and the other two guys are out. But Etwan has skills. I can't deny it. Yeah, you know I love shooting. And if you look at the raw numbers, you know, 47% from three is insane. And if you look at Etwan Moore's, he's shooting like 23% right now. That's not good. But the decision-making is so far beyond Langston Galloway. And this is not Langston Galloway's fault. His job is to shoot as soon as he touches the ball. But having another guy, when they throw those junk defenses at Devin Booker, when they throw those junk defenses at... Chris Paul and for those who don't listen every episode what we're talking about is trapping on pick and rolls and that means sending two guys at the ball handler on every screen to force them beyond the three-point line and get rid of the ball having another guy who can now penetrate and make decisions with the ball and be able to score in that sort of mid-range area that the Suns are sort of dominating in with floaters shots off the off the backboard and even find guys on the roll or in the corners that's a nice thing to have. So right now, I actually agree with Monty's decision to put Etwan Moore above, uh, above Langston Galloway in the lineup, and it's specifically because it seems like they are staggering a bit less. And that means when you have uh, Cameron Payne in, you still have another high-quality playmaker next to him in Etwan Moore, and of course Dario Saric in a lot of those minutes as well. And those those lineups, I think, can just get better and better and better with multiple playmakers throughout the season, especially with guys that can cut like uh, Cameron Payne, or I, sh- I should say penetrate with the ball like Cameron Payne. So it's it's a tough thing, and I, I wouldn't get mad at any game where all of a sudden Langston Galloway's playing instead of Etuan Moore, but I actually think the decision to play Etuan Moore makes sense in this case. But I don't know. We'll see what they do, and if they continue to do that. Next guy after Langston Galloway, 15 minutes a game, Frank Kaminsky. It's hard to argue that Frank Kaminsky doesn't deserve a spot in the rotation at this point. The conversation for him is more about how much should he be playing and how much should he or should he continue to start. I actually found it quite interesting that he doesn't play, even even though Dario Saric is back, before that he was staggering, Monty was staggering Frank and and Dario to have one of those guys on the court at at all times to avoid playing Damian Jones at all costs basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is what it is. Yeah. But with Dario back, he's not really playing multiple bigs with Dario. Like they are committed to Dario charge at center. Yeah. And it's working. It absolutely is working and that means cutting down Frank Kaminsky's minutes and to an extent how do you find minutes for Frank Kaminsky if he is not starting? Should he be out of the lineup entirely in favor of Jay Crowder starting it, and he just doesn't have minutes, just there sort of break break glass in case of emergency? I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of needlessly callous when you put it like that, but yeah. <laughs> I just, like, I, I, yeah. I, 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 just, I don't know. I, I think that, yeah, I think Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson are sufficiently good and Dario Saric and DeAndre Ayton. That's that's a hell of a front court. You don't need Frank Kaminsky necessarily. 
I understand. I understood why he was starting. We've talked about it. He provides a very particular set of skills. Yeah, he <laughs> it's does. A, yeah, he stupid, can, stupid reference. Um, he can pass. He can, I mean, <laughs> which he is can which is to say, he can pass. Um, and other guys on this team can't necessarily pass. He's technically the second best three point shooter on the Suns so far this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's the second best. What? Three point shooter, forty one percent from three. Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, I haven't checked Frank's uh, stat page in a while. That that goes to yeah. show. Here's I here. mean, that's why we can I say talk about it? I guess I think you could find ten minutes per game for Frank Kaminsky. But here's why the the starting lineup thing confuses me, right? Well, who's gonna who's he gonna take those minutes from? Is he gonna play with DeAndre Ayton in those minutes? I I think we saw him play with Dario Saric in the bubble, and they were fine. Yeah, it's interesting. We did see that, you know. That, right? Yeah, yeah, we saw that, and and I'm right, right? Like you saw it yeah, too. Plus twenty four. They were I fine. Those minutes recently. They were fine. They could do that. But yeah. it's it's just the here's why the starting thing confuses me. Can I get on my soapbox about that? Yeah. I know what the Suns are doing. They're going to keep starting Frank until they lose a game. That's fine. Whatever. You're on a win streak. You've won 9 of 10. There's only so much I can bitch about it. But the, the ha, having your full roster, being at full strength is such a privilege. You don't want to waste potential games of letting your core guys mesh. And and this is why it frustrates me. Because what the Suns are doing right now with Frank Kaminsky is they're starting Frank Kaminsky for the first six or so minutes of the game, and they're closing mm-hmm. with a different lineup every game. The past two games, they close with Jay Crowder or, or even yeah, Cam Johnson in some situation, right. depending on matchups. You look at every other team in the league, they are having twice as much time to find their five core guys, circle those guys, and let them mesh together. You go, you look at the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are one of the deepest teams in the NBA. They have tons of guys who, who they could throw into their starting lineup situationally if they wanted. What they're doing is they have circled their five guys. They've got Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, and then Rudy Gobert. That's their starting lineup. You don't see Quinn Snyder say, you know what? I feel like Joe Ingles today. I'm going to play Joe Ingles just for shits. You don't see him say, you don't see him say, I, I like Jordan Clarkson today. I'm going to start him. What what bothers me about it is that there's other teams that are getting five guys to play potentially 1,000 or 2,000 minutes together and who are going to mesh by the time they get to the playoffs better than the Suns lineup of Jay Crowder, which I think is their best lineup, which might only yeah. get, say, 500 minutes together because you decided to start Frank Kaminsky all season long, even though you knew he wasn't sustainably your long-term option. That's why it makes no sense to me. And 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 I understand if, like, this is something not a lot of people care about, like, you don't think it's make or break, but I do think on the margins it makes a difference. And and I don't, I'm just not afraid to, to go out there and say, like, I don't really get it. They have, uh, I just want to say in defense of Monty here, the Jazz have years of continuity with most of those players. And I think understanding exactly what they bring and their chemistry together, like that's a long time. The Suns have a lot less time. And I understand what you mean. And I agree, actually. Uh, I And I think I actually would be okay. And it's, it's maybe a little harsh to say if he was cut out of the lineup entirely outside of times where there are guys in foul trouble or uh, they're winning by enough that you can get some extra guys in there. Maybe he could be that cigar, that human victory cigar, coming into the game and, and hitting a three and everyone cheering. But I do think there are things that make it make sense, and I I think that it's been a stretch of games where it just made sense to have him too. So as we go forward, especially against some of these Western Conference teams, it will make less sense. But there were times in this game where... 
Chris Paul would forcibly get switched onto onto uh, Vucevic, and then uh, they would have enough time for Chris Paul and then Frank to switch. Well, DeAndre Ayton's on a perimeter player, so you have another big guy to switch. And yes, that could be Jay Crowder, but it doesn't hurt to have Frank Kaminsky in in those scenarios. There's, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna freak out. Neither am I. Kaminsky hey, in the I don't want to. I don't want to be known as the guy who freaked out about Frank Kaminsky. That's not the hill. <laughs> you're not. You're not. That's not out. the hill I'm here to die on. Because that's that's the sun. You know, that's a dumb hill to die on. It's just, I I just don't fully get it. I can't say with any statistics that the Suns have been losing games because of Frank Kaminsky or that they've even been bad <laughs> because the net ratings haven't been bad and they're not losing games. They've been good. But you know what? Yeah. The other thing I don't understand is we know Jay Crowder is not. He's he's a okay offensive player actually you know he's an underrated passer you've talked about that before that's part of the reason i do think he can start instead of frank kaminsky because a lot of the passing stuff i think jay crowder does that too but in addition to that jay crowder needs chris paul and devin booker to create offense for him and this was jay crowder took a ton of threes tonight what did he shoot he shot four for 13 he's shooting sub 30 percent from deep in all of his games as a reserve it's very obvious i think to anyone who's paying attention that jay crowder plays better when he's with the best guys. And if you've got yeah. a guy like Jay Crowder who you just committed a three-year contract to versus Frank Kaminsky who you plucked for for a minimum deal a week before the season started, I would think you want to show full investment in the guy who you're committed to for the next three years. I would think that, but I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. Again, I think yeah. the Suns are just, they're riding a hot streak. I hope they keep winning games. I hope, you know, Frank Kaminsky, if... If the Suns win the next 60 games in a row and then Frank Kaminsky is never taken out of the starting lineup, then great. <laughs> but eventually, I, you know, I think we're going to maybe keep having this conversation. Yeah, and I, I think that Jay Crowder is so good even when he's not hitting shots that it almost doesn't matter to an extent. And I, But you're right. You want them to be utilizing their best players in the best possible way. And that means Jay Crowder is better when he's open. He's also better when his feet are set, by the way. Uh, I don't like when he stands a few feet behind the three-point line and sort of catches it and steps into that shot. Or when That's he, not his game. Or when he feels like he's the guy who's out there on, on the reserve unit, right? So, like, he has the power to take a step back. That's not your game, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, took there, it, he, he tries to do that sometimes. That's not his game. Yeah. I will say if Frank is now out of the starting lineup going forward, and I, I don't think that's going to be the case for those who enjoy it, I think they're going to continue writing it until it some if it does go bad, you know, maybe they'll uh, change it. But if it continues to go well, then yeah, continue doing it. But the one thing I do love is the chemistry between Frank and Mikhail. There are plays where they just pass back and forth to each other three or four times. There was one play today where uh, it went Frank, Mikhail, Mikhail, Frank, Frank, Mikhail, and then a rebound back to Frank, back to Mikhail, and then they scored. Uh, and it's just funny. Those, those guys have such great chemistry together. They're able to find each other in the right position. And maybe that's part of why Monty likes it because as good as Jay Crowder is, he's just not tall. Having it's a true. tall playmaker matters. You can get the ball over guys yep. to cutters in a way that Jay Crowder can't. And I'll say this as a guy who's 5'9 and likes to pass the ball. And if I have a 6'4 guy on me, it's going to be a lot harder to pass to cutters. So I understand the difficulty to a very small extent. It's better to be a tall playmaker. And there's very few of those guys, so they can utilize him. Uh, I understand it. So I guess it's safe to say I get why he's starting. But I wouldn't be surprised if it changes at some point, but I don't see it changing anytime soon. Last guy, funny to end the podcast with a conversation. I'm assuming that both of us think Cameron Payne is just a lock at the backup point guard, right? Yeah, he's a lock. 
Yeah, and, um, and that's you, fair. He's you know, it. the guy we didn't even mention is Nader. Yeah, that's the last guy, Nader. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, so sorry being, if I just screwed up. If you had a nice no, no, it's totally fine. I, I just wanted to make sure we were both on the same page <laughs> yeah. with pain. So Nader, uh, it's you know, by the way, the third best three point shooter on the Sun so far, Abdul Nader at thirty nine percent shooting two point three a game in the games that he's played, which is ten games. Uh, obviously, has been injured in some cases. He can play shooting guard. He can play small forward in very small lineups. I could even see him being deployed as some sort of power forward-ish player. Um, wouldn't be surprised if that happened at some point. I mean, it's tough to say that he deserves minutes at this point outside of injuries, right? Yeah, there's just too many good wings on this team, so I think he's just a break-in-case-of-emergency guy, but he's a good yeah. guy to have in the event of that. And I, I guess that's kind of just how we can close out the conversation here is you've got so many talented players, only so many of them can play. That means you could flip one of them for something else in a trade. That's yeah. something that people keep bringing up. I I don't see anything out there right right now that I want to be honest. But I mean, pe- people commonly say a backup big, and I'm like, I still well, want that's, that to be charged. <laughs> that's what I was talking about. Like, you know, if I could get Mo Bamba for free, then yeah, it's great. But yeah, <laughs> but right. like, but I don't want to. You know, I don't want to trade. I don't even know what Mo Bamba's making. Uh, he's probably ma- he's probably making he's top too 10 much. Pick. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, you probably need to flip, like, Javon Carter and Abdel Nader or something for Mo Bamba, like, with what he's making, and I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, like, a pick or something. So I would, I would get a backup big if I could get one. I mean, maybe this is where you look at the buyout market in March. Yeah. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, if the Suns are contenders for once and, and they can get the guys who get bought out, yeah, in pursuit of a, in pursuit of a ring, rather than the other way around, where like you buy out Tyson Chandler five games into the season, and he runs to L.A. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I still think a three four wing is is another one of those. And yes, we have some good ones on this team, but we saw when there were some injuries that that depth it gets it's not as great. We have more guards than we have wings at this point. So if we can get another wing, that wouldn't be so bad. All this to say, the Suns have been really good, and I think Monty's been doing mostly a good job with the rotations. Uh, outside of Frank Kaminsky, and I think to an extent Langston Galloway for you, we mostly agree with what he's doing so far, and I think he's managed the Chris Paul-Devin Booker minutes really well lately. A very fun team, a very good team, a test coming up against the Nets, not as much as what we expected it to be. I was weirdly disappointed that Kevin Durant wasn't playing uh, yeah. because I wanted to see them against a fully healthy Nets team. I mean, is that weird now? Not at all. You wanted to have the bragging rights of this team has beaten every contender in the Eastern Conference. Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. I mean, they would have yeah. they would have beaten, theoretically, they could do it against a full-strength Nets team. Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, uh, uh, Brooklyn. Am I missing someone? Is there is there a contender I'm missing? I mean, not really. Cleveland? You want, <laughs> I don't think they count. <laughs> not them. Uh, <laughs> Miami's been bad. In, so Miami's been really bad. Indiana? Miami. Uh, who the hell? Who? Indiana. We beat Indiana, who too. Hella, I mean, that, they're all there. Who else is in that? Yeah, they would have, they, that would have been everyone. Would have been everyone. And it, you know, now it's just it feels a little bit hollow if you try to say that after they beat a KD-list team. Yeah. 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 So Brooklyn on Tuesday, followed by New Orleans and Memphis on Friday and Saturday. That's the week this week, um, an interesting week. It's one of those weeks where if they beat Brooklyn, then they should beat New Orleans after they took a beating from them. And then Memphis is a tough team. It's not Neither of those games are easy outs, but they can extend this win streak to nine games if they do really well. I'm not going to count on that. 
Very excited to they come back be... and talk about this team later. Maybe a midweek episode this week. We're not really sure yet. Maybe. We'll see. Once uh, there's a Tuesday game, and then is there, uh, when's the next one? Uh, Friday, Saturday. So maybe we'll go live on Wednesday. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, all right. a few games to, to keep you on the edge of your, sheet, your seat. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> we'll be back soon. Watch for if uh, Mikhail Bridges hits his first three. Another win for Bridges Law tonight. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Metrics U.S. report. Results vary. Not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.